Brothers and sisters, we continue to work our way through the book of James. We're in the first chapter, and we're particularly looking this evening at verses 21 through 25. I am going to start at verse 19 for context's sake. This is God's holy and inerrant word, so let us give careful attention to it. The book of James chapter 1, verse 19, starting at verse 19. Notice, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Again, our Lord and our God, we ask that you would bless our time together, that you would cause us to see exactly what you would have us to see and hear. That would, would promote our growth in Christ, in his image, for your glory, for your purposes. We pray again in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, some people are just too talkative. They're like the young man who supposedly went to the great Greek philosopher Socrates to learn how to be a skillful public speaker. After being introduced, the young man talked and talked and then kept on talking. When the moment came where they were supposed to be discussing payment, the young man noticed that Socrates charged him, was going to charge him double. At which point he was confused and the young man then said, it seems that what you're charging me is twice the amount that's normally charged for this sort of training. Is that so? Yes, answers Socrates. After my preliminary assessment and recognition of how truly gifted you are, I've surmised I must teach you not one but two sciences. The first one, how to hold your tongue, and the other, how to speak. You see, Socrates knew it didn't matter how many words per minute or maybe per second with this young man, how much he could produce. He could never be persuasive in his speech if all he was concerned about was himself, how he felt and how he thought and what he thought. As things were, Socrates knew that the prospect of being engaging, capturing the attention of one's audience, and ultimately being able to influence the thoughts of others could never be realized if one were not concerned about knowing his audience's story, the things that were important to them, their needs, and what was capturing the thoughts, their thoughts at any given moment in time. The young man's goal was to be numbered among those who were identified as orators, but his actions and disposition were not in keeping with what it meant to genuinely be one. 
And so this seasoned orator needed to, to come alongside him and point him away from the things that were bad and out of step and towards the things that were centrally a part of what he was or was trying to become. And so as we look at our text we, that we have before us this evening, we find that that is the same principle dynamic that we're engaged in here. The Apostle James, our brother in Christ, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who knew that you and I are prone to cutting off others while we're speaking, while they're still speaking, so that we could be heard in our attempts to win an argument. Knew that in our minds the center of our solar system is not the sun, it's our point of view, and thus any assertion, opinion, or thought that runs contrary to it will incur our wrath written here as anger. By the wisdom of God and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James knew these things. And it was out of this wisdom that we heard the following in verse 19 and 20. Notice, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Last week, Interim Youth Director Sam Tolman did an excellent job of communicating the fact that the anger that is born out of human, of the human nature is not one that does not and in fact cannot produce the righteousness of God. That is the godly characteristics and actions that come from a person who has placed their trust in Christ, who have submitted themselves to the work of his spirit and are manifesting the fruit that comes from that relationship. The husband that is raging at his wife in a self-centered manner cannot and will not hear, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The raging wife cannot and will not hear, wives, be subject to your own husbands, submit to them, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And the child fuming with fallen rage cannot and will not hear children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The same can be said of every relationship we're engaged in. Man-centered, our anger will not and cannot enable the type of living that is consistent with the one who is called an ambassador of Christ. At this juncture, I believe it's important for me to communicate a very important thought that should be at the forefront of our thinking before we start licking, taking a, a closer look at our text. I just mentioned three commands that are relational in nature. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husband and children, obey your parents in the Lord. You know what all three of those imperatives have in common? They're God's word. The point is this. Our attitude and disposition towards God's word is the greater concern here. The context of this section of scripture, starting in verse 18, communicates as much. In verse 18, we hear these words. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, the question at hand at that point becomes, what is the word of truth? 
And the answer, it's the gospel. Not only are we saved by the gospel, but we're also sanctified by it. The context of this passage then is not primarily talking about how we are to live, but rather our disposition towards that which has been given to us by God as a means of grace, God's word. And it is out of that disposition that action is called for here. Here it would be a good place for us to be reminded that after King David sinned against Uriah by sleeping with his wife and all the other sinful behaviors and the mess that came after that, when David repented, the words that came out of his mouth was what? Against you and you alone, that is God and his word, have I sinned. All sin comes from a wrong orientation and disposition towards God and his word, primarily. Everything else is secondary and a manifestation of what I just said. And so it's on the heel of the assertions that I've just made, assertions that we can all attest to, that James starts off verse 21 with, therefore. That is to say, since that is the case, since it is a fact that operating in the wheelhouse of man-centered anger results in our inability to be rightly concerned or connected to God's word, to be sensitive to it, to be what God wants us to be and to do what he wants us to do, let us do the following to properly address this situation. And so now he provides instructions that could be written under the heading, here's how to be blessed in God's economy. Now, this is not a prosperity message, so when you leave here, you ain't going to have my money in your pocket or anything like that, or a solution to it, okay? Blessing is defined or defined in different ways, but here are three things we can see as we talk about this path of here's how to be blessed in God's economy. Here's what James is saying. Three things, intentional steps that we are to take in relation to God's word. Secondly, there's a supporting illustration here. And thirdly, there's a promise to bank on. Now, let's look at these together. First, there are intentional steps we're commanded to take. There are three of them. First, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Then there's receive with meekness the implanted word. And then there's be doers of the word, the central part. If we're going to be in a position to be blessed the way God intends us to, to know the peace that passes all understanding. If we are going to be blessed, we need to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. First thing that we see here. Now, brothers and sisters, did you hear about the commercial plane flight to London that was canceled this past week? Did you? It was widely reported that someone went to the bathroom in the wrong spot on the plane. It was stated that the stench was so bad that when some of the folks who were on the plane got off, the stench of that mishap was still on their clothes. I imagine the smell probably stayed there until Tide or, or some other detergent interacted or engaged with their clothes, if you know what I mean. It's in that same vein that James here is saying, take off those stinky clothes of filthiness and rampant wickedness and put on the garments that were given to you in Ephesians 6. Now someone might be saying, Dean, why use such a stinky graphic 
as an illustration. Now I'm going to be, I'm not going to be able to get that mess out of my head. Ew. Well, the answer for my doing that is because it gives you a physical picture of the spiritual stench that's being communicated here when Paul uses the word filthiness and rampant wickedness. Filthiness in this context refers to any moral defilement when purity. And rampant wickedness is moral evil or corruption. And remember, James is speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to pagans in the world. Just like Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 11, who wrote, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. They will not be blessed. And such, he says, talking to Christians, James talks to brothers, Paul's talking to Christians. And he said, and such were some of you. But then he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You took off those filthy clothes. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jay says, put those things off and then engage in the second intentional act. The key word here is intentionality. We have to be intentional in being in God's word, in doing God's word. And so the second intentional act is receive with meekness the implanted word. Listen, this is not saying you have to do these things to earn your salvation or to keep your salvation. But rather, if you truly belong to Christ, the word was implanted in you. The seed was sown in good soil, as Jesus said in Mark 4, among other places. And now, that, now you are to receive it, to grow as God intended. You, it must be sown in the disposition of a humble and contrite heart. Now that you are walking in the path of sanctification, now you have to be open to God's word and receive it humbly so that it can do its work that it was meant to do in you. God intended, again, for us to be walking in his word, living in his word, and we must have a humble and contrite heart. Or as the prophet Isaiah states in 57, 15, on whom does my spirit rest except on the humble and meek? Or Jesus in his sermon on the mount, blessed are the meek for what they shall inherit the earth. Now look, being meek and humble the way James is calling us to, receiving what's being given to us and committing ourselves to it requires the type of trust that you say that you truly have in God. It requires true trust. When you look at a little child and that child goes into your house and you feed that child, that child doesn't sit there and say, and look at you squint eye on the side and say, you trying to poison me. That child trusts you. When you put that child in a, in a tub filled with water, that child doesn't say, you trying to drown me. No, that child trusts you. In fact, that child is splashing in that water because that child believes that you are going to take care of him or her. And so it's the same thing with God. If you trust God and God says to do something and you don't do it, is it because you don't trust him? 
Do you trust yourself? Do you really trust the Lord? Do you believe that he has your best interest at heart? That is come what may. Or do you believe you have to fend for yourself in your marital relationship? Do you believe that you have to fend for yourself with your boss? Do you believe that you have to fend for yourself in sibling rivalries and all these sorts of things? When you go into the highways and byways and there's persecution, do you believe that you have to curse and carry on and like, like Peter did? Remember what Peter did when he denied Christ and he denied him? And the third time, they would say, no, 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 you are him. And Peter said, well, I can't say what Peter said. Peter started cursing, the Bible says. Is that what we do? Or do we humbly place ourselves at the mercy of our God? in every situation that we deal with. Do you believe that it's God who is working in and through you and his purposes will be fulfilled just as he promised? If so, James says, then show it by intentionally doing what you see in verse 22. Be intentional rather. And here it says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only Deceiving yourselves. There are some who just rage against God's word. Even some who profess to be his rage against his word. And by the way, all of us do to some degree. All of us are fighting with the old man and all of us resist the word of God. And he is telling us here, don't do that. Receive it with a heart of humility, knowing that God has your best interest at hand. When you get into those situations where you need to trust God, trust God. Trust God. Has he ever failed you? Trust him. The doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Some go to church, ready to listen to the sermons, ready to acknowledge that what they heard was true, but somehow, more often than not, they still manage not to do what God is asking them to. James said you should put away that stuff, the sin that so easily besets you. Put away what hinders you. And you should receive that which is able to save and sanctify you. But you must also intentionally do what you're commanded to. That is, if you are indeed who you say you are. If we say that we are God's, then we should do what he is calling us to. Trust him. Know that he has our best interests at heart. You cannot say you are those who are his if you're not one who is internally compelled to obey his word. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you, Jesus said in Luke 6.46. And again, he said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Jesus couldn't be any clearer. But the good thing here is we're not being asked by a harsh taskmaster. We're not being asked by someone who has our worst intention, uh, interest at heart. We're being asked by the person who absolutely loves us, who absolutely knows everything about us, and who is therefore able to shepherd us better than anyone or anything could. The testimony of scripture then. And what James says here is, if you have no desire whatsoever to obey God's word, to value it as a lamp unto your feet and a guide unto your path, then you are deceived in terms of your belief 
that he is yours and you are his. Brothers and sisters, that's a bad place to be. Imagine coming to church and in your heart of hearts, it's a social gathering to you. You have no interest in obeying the word of God. You have no interest in walking in the commands of God. Again, not to earn your salvation, but because you love the God who, is you, who has called you and is using you for his purposes, but you have no interest in that. Imagine that. And then going before the judgment seat of God and hearing, get away from me, you workers of iniquity, like it says in Matthew 7:21, I never knew you. What a tragic thing that would be. And so scripture tells that we examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. And one way we know that is we love the word of God, even when we can't obey it, because that old man is clinging to us, like uh, Paul said in Romans 7, and holding us down. The spirit of God will enable us. But when we fall, the book of Proverbs says, the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. Seven is the perfect number. So it means there's a lifelong curve. You're never perfect, but you don't stay going down if you belong to God. You obey his word and then you're like this and you're sanctified and you're growing in grace. You don't go backward and you don't hate the word of God. You don't despise it. You absolutely love it. And that is a mark of a person who belongs to God. They are a doer. And so he goes on here to say, making this point, he provides an observation as a supporting illustration. Look at verses 23 and 24. James writes, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, let me tell you, you know that I shave my own head. I guess it's it's clear to see that somebody shaves my head, right? So I do it on my own, right? So one day I was shaving my head in the mirror. And uh, I didn't realize, you know, you look closely in the mirror because you want to see, you know, if, if, you, if you have, uh, I don't know what you guys call it, but yampy in your eye or, or whatever the case may be, or if, if you're disheveled, whatever, you want to get yourself right, right? And so, of course, if I'm shaving my head with that electric shaver in the mirror, then I need to look closely and I need to see if I missed any spot. So this one morning I looked and it was like a big old patch that I had missed, right? And I, and, and I, I needed to get out the house to go to the office because I, I had made an appointment to answer a phone call or whatever, Zoom, I can't remember, right? So anyhow, I rushed to the office and I said, you know what? I'm going to take the shaver with me. And I'm just going to do it in the bathroom after the meeting before anyone can see me, Right? I drove from the house, forgot the shaver, got in the meeting, forgot that I had the patch, and so instead of walking out with a ball coconut, I walked around like Patch Adams, right? <laughs> I completely didn't realize, so I'm supposed to be Mr. Baldy, but I was something different, right? Here he's saying, James is saying that a person who says they're a Christian and hears the word then walks away and does not do what they heard and do so on a, and does that on a consistent basis, they're bearing witness to the fact that they're not what they claim to be. Either they are and they're walking in a manner that's not consistent with who they are, or they're living in a manner which will not produce the fruit 
they are potentially capable of bearing. In every area of their lives, they will not be blessed in God's economy. James follows this example with a contrast. The person who is in fact doing what they've heard, here's our third observation. There is a promise to bank on when we become doers of the word. When you are a doer of the word, there is a promise to bank on, and it says it not here, but in multiple places in scripture. Look at the verse. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be what? Blessed in his doing. I didn't make up this stuff as no prosperity gospel, but the principle is when you operate in God's word, typically you will be blessed. And even in the midst of persecution, even at the threat of losing your life, the peace that passes all understanding is a blessing that a person who's a pagan in this world cannot experience. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, when we are obeying God and walking and living according to his word, we will be blessed in God's economy. And guess what? If our lives are taken away from us here, eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, nor has it entered into the imagination of man what God has for us. There's no situation where a person who's a profession Christian who truly belongs to the Lord will not be blessed if they walk in his word. And again, James is saying that here. But guess what? If you've been in church at any uh, uh, length of time, you know that you hear this all the time. The very first psalm, listen to what it says. Blessed is the man, happy, blessed. Again, there's that word. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So this person has put away wicked counsel, put away sinners, put away scoffing and gossiping and all those things. And what do they do in place? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He meditates. The man in James is being asked to receive it. And when he receives it, what does he do? He meditates on it. And then what does he do? He acts. Oh, but Dean, this person here is not acting. Are you sure? Listen. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, listen, in all he does, he prospers. Okay? That's not good enough? Do something else, Dean? Okay, Joshua talking, God talking to Joshua in Joshua 1, when he's now about to go into the promises in the promised land. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have, what? Good success wherever you go. He goes on to say to him, this book of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, did we just hear that word? On it day and night, so that you may be careful to what? Do. You're not just a hearer, Joshua, but you are a doer, okay? According to all that is written in it, why or what? For then you will make your way, what? Prosperous. And then you will have good success. Do these passages negate suffering? Absolutely not. We know that, but I've already covered that. I said that no matter what happens to us as a true Christian, 
we will experience the goodness, the blessings of God, either meant spiritually, no less than spiritually, but also sometimes physically, right? Now, I want to point out something that's neat here, all right? This is Acts 17, and I'm going to close with this. This is Acts 17, verse 26, and you'll see where I'm going with this, because we're talking about being doers of the word, okay? So in Acts 17, 26, we hear, and all the way through 28, and he made from one man every nation. This is the apostle Paul speaking to the people at Athens who were worshiping an unknown God. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for, this is what Paul is telling them, in him we live and move and have our being. As even, this is what I want you to hear, as even as some of your own Poets have said, the reason I read that to you, that word poet in Acts 17, 28 is the same exact word doer that's in James. The same exact word. And you know what it is? That is the person that comes up with the way of worship, the liturgy, the person who crafts the things that they're going to believe and, and follow and so on and so forth. This is the person who came up with the articles of discipline. In that sense, we have a master poet that's known throughout our denomination in our church. His name is John Quasney. Did you know that? And so John Quasney comes up with all these different ways that we are to be discipled. And so we are to receive those things. Sunday school, the little children. He even wrote, by the way, a book that you can drive up and down the highways and byways. Don't do it while reading, right? The other person's supposed to be reading. But the point is that you're now discipling. And so you say, wait a minute, Dean. So you're saying that we should be intentional about doing the word, receiving it, intentional about receiving it, and intentional about doing it. You better believe that. And you know what the model is? Deuteronomy 6. You know when God says to, 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 to read the word and to meditate on the word? He said, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you go on the way, he said, put it on your doorpost at all times. So sometimes there can be an argument, and I saw an article recently that talked about this. It said that some people stress and, and some people like get real, feel really bad if they are not able to like do devotions at 7.30 every morning or pray three times a day like Daniel. And if they miss one, oh, it's terrible, right? And so the question is, do you have to do something every single time ritualistically? And the answer is you're supposed to be doing things all the time, that you're supposed to be crafting ways to receive the word of God. And you already have some established for you in this church by a master poet. By the way, look that word up for so you can see it for yourself. It'll be pretty cool for you to see that, that this is what um, we are supposed to do. We're supposed to be intentional about receiving the word of God with the right heart and then acting on the word of God. And the person who does that will indeed be able to do what? Accomplish the works that God prepared for them before the foundation of the world. That is what it says in the book of Ephesians. 
Is there any promise? I want you to answer this. Is there any promise that God has made in his word that has not come true? Well, this must be a Presbyterian church. Is there any promise in the word of God that has not come true that God has said? Amen. Right? And so is he a God that we can trust? Is he worthy of us doing his word? All I have to say from that then is amen. Let's live it. Let's do it all to the praise of God's glory. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your word. We pray, Lord, that we would be doers of your word, that we would love you and love your word, and that it would manifest in the actions that we engage in, and that you, by the power of your spirit, would enable us to do those works. For we know apart from you, we can do nothing. It doesn't matter how much we hear. It doesn't matter what we think. If you are not with us, if you're not enabling us by the power of your spirit, we can do nothing. But you've called us to utilize the means of grace that you've given us. You've said, how can we say we love you if we don't obey your commandments? And so we're asking that you would enable us to do that which you've commanded. We ask that you would use us in such a way that we would be a light in a dark world that you would place us in our spheres of influence and cause us again to shine, not individually and, and so that folks can look at us, but so that folks can see Christ in us and him glorified. You've called us as ambassadors, so we are in the highways and byways, not preaching or teaching what we want, but communicating that which you have sent us to. So we pray that you bless us again in our receiving and bless us in our doing, all to the praise of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.